You're listening to the Slow Ride podcast. Bites, advice, and rumors straight from the source. The Slow Ride Podcast.com and on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod. Enjoy the ride. Hi, I'm Hello, uh, and welcome. Oh, to- <laughs> fucking hell, I thought we were cutting it from the middle. No, no, we're good. Hello, and welcome to the 48th episode of the Slow Ride Podcast. This is Tim Hayes coming at you from Minneapolis. Uh, crap. Ah, Miami, where are you? Florida. I'm in Miami this week. This is Thanks a professional show. Very professional show. And I have two of my best friends joining me as uh, as always. And uh, take it away, guys. Uh, hi, I'm the little guy. I'm in Minneapolis. And I got a mild concussion. Excellent. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Thanks for the positive energies. Spencer, yep. where are you? Yep. I'm in, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, where, uh, where I've been hanging out for the last year trying to figure out the bike scene up here. Well, as always, you can find us on Twitter collectively at the Slow Ride Pod. Website is theslowridepodcast.com. And you can also email us at the slow ride podcast at gmail.com. Lots of great uh, things happening in the world of cycling, but we really don't have too much to talk about right off the bat. So, yeah, you know, it's been kind of a slow week, kind of a slow it's, week. Not, not much going on. Not even true. You guys are both lying. There's I mean, been there's two, a- two world tour races happening concurrently. Uh, you have a concussion. You don't even know what you're talking about. There's been warm weather in Minnesota. Spencer, yeah. I know you're still shoveling out this fat bike. You know, guys, <laughs> we've been true. riding road bikes here. So, Yeah, but, I, you know, like our audience, they've already read all the cycling news articles. They know they know what happened at Perry Nice. So I'm thinking, you know. Do we need, you we know need... what happened at Perry Nice? No. You know, guys, I didn't, I didn't read the to, article. It's time to go deep onto our bench of uh, reserves. And let's get a special guest to help us out. We need to so, use our imaginations. Yes. All right. Let's do it. What should can happen? Cre- should we create an imaginary? <laughs> yeah. Think that worked? All right. We're joined by special guest Adam. Let me see if I can pronounce this right. Myerson. <laughs> Is- oh, you nailed it. <laughs> That's so impressive. Wish. Yeah. Adam Myerson. Legendary USA pro cyclist. Thanks for joining us on the Slow Ride Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for pronouncing my name correctly. I've been I've been listening to the podcast, and I've I've started to wonder if this is like a an Andy Kaufman type gag of yours to mispronounce <laughs> all these names. If only it was. It's, if if only it was. I've been listening. It's, it's really sad. I know. Well, with Andy Kaufman, you never know what's real life and what's not. So I think that's you've got that you've got that going on. But I'll be out on a bike ride by myself, listening to the podcast, and just literally like burst out laughing all alone on the side of the road at your horrible attempts at European names and places. It's well, impressive. Worst, the worst part of this is that both Spencer and Little Guy don't even help me out. They just let me flounder out there in the uh, deep end. So 
it, it's a thing now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a thing. It's a feature of the podcast, and you should, yeah, you just have to keep on with it now. <laughs> yeah, lots of people hate me, but, you know, it is what it is. So thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, first things first, I think that, you know, professional cyclists, you've been around for a while. I was really hoping to get to speak to you this Saturday in Tampa at the first national criterium calendar race, and it got canceled. And I'm a little yeah. bummed about that, so I'm not going to get to see you start the last season of your uh, professional road career. Yeah, um, it was definitely a surprise and and a disappointment. Um, you know, I just finished a big block of training and um, flew home for a couple of days in between, and the whole team is headed to Tampa um, on Friday, so it, it didn't. You know, it impacts me personally, it impacts the team, it impacts lots of teams and lots of even amateur riders who. Book travel to head down there. It's not a lot of notice for a cancel cancellation. So is that something that over your years, this is one of the you know we always hear about the golden age of cycling, and since you've been around for quite a long time, is this a kind of a normal thing that you've always seen with American cycling, or is this pretty uh, kind of one off? Like as far as cancellations and things like that. Well, yeah, it's funny because so like the first pro criterium I ever saw was the Boston Wheatins. Mayor's Cup in uh, Harvard Square, and it was, I think, eighty six or eighty seven, and you know, Harvard Square. They were shut down Harvard Square mid eighties, and they were racing for ten thousand dollars in prize money. This is in nineteen eighties. They were racing for ten thousand dollars, and the prize list right now for an NCC Criterium is, uh, I believe, twelve thousand five hundred dollars, and it's equal prize money for men and women, which is progress. But over the course of 30 years, we're more or less racing for the same exact prize list that they were in the 80s. So that's great. It's, it's still a lot of money. It's, but, but, you know, they paid $25 for an entry fee for that. And uh, maybe the salaries weren't as good then. Who knows? But it's, sometimes it feels like nothing's changed in 30 years. Um, and certainly when you when races can get canceled, you know, four days before the event or whatever, you know, nothing really has changed. Okay. <laughs> that, that answers the serious question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know, we're we're all looking forward to it. It's a bummer. I'm pretty you know, I'm I was excited for it. Um So where does that leave you for the rest of the year? Like so what are the what are the goals? This is hashtag last lap. This is the end of yeah. Meyerson on the road is it end of cross too like I don't know uh where you're at and where did where does this leave you going forward sure well short term you know we're all still going to Tampa um we were having our training camp in between Tampa and Aniston yeah so you could come by yeah oh my god (laughs) so excited you're gonna regret down there yeah they did a race I think I think they raced in uh in Georgia or I think they were in Georgia last weekend. Um, most of the team is already there, and they did a local race last weekend. And the guys are staying down in Miami during the week. But then team camp was officially um, starting on Friday. We were going to race Saturday. Uh, we had camp until Wednesday. Uh, the road guys were going to go home, and the crick guys were going to Aniston. So, um, you know, we have sponsors from Estella's coming down. Um, we're going to do a ride with them now instead of – um, you know, hosting them at the race, but you know, I was, we're getting race bikes and kit and all that other stuff is still going to happen. So, um, 
you know, we wouldn't have necessarily gone to Tampa for team camp, but we didn't have to cancel any plans necessarily. Adam, I was going to ask, if I'm doing five-minute intervals with 20-second rests in between, should I be upping that to six by July, or should I just keep it at just five-minute interval after five-minute interval all day and all night? I think the info he needs to know is when exactly during this road season you're planning to burn out. I'm planning to burn out. I want... My goal is to burn out by May 1st because that's the whole Minnesota road season is uh, from April 15th to May 1st. So I want to burn out by May 1st. You know, you know wanna, the best part of, I mean, of this little guy is that we can see Adam Meyerson on the video and he's like <laughs> – right now you can tell in his face like what the hell did I do by getting on this podcast? Oh, by now I'm worst. giving away coaching advice. That's why you got to pay for it, little guy. Pay for the expert. Well, I've been on the trainer for five months, and it it seems it seems like a good plan. I've just been doing intervals and watching Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and oh, so there's, I'm so feeling pretty right good. Now. So yeah, I've, I, we've identified your problem already. I mean, so Tim obviously saw me like take my glasses off and rub my temples. Um, but I think I mean, maybe Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is not the best choice of. Um, Really, you don't think so? Entertain. Gets me pretty pumped. Yeah. I do every time Steve Martin makes a face. I I figure five minute interval. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so Adam, with your I just uh, save that look at your face right there. <laughs> with um, with this new team, Estellas, what's your uh, what's your actual goal? Are you just like now the uh, the team dad leading the people along? Is there a team director? Are you kind of in charge of the the crit squad? What's your uh? You know, what's the plan for this season? Um, Yeah, well, I definitely, after last season was, you know, I was looking for someone to lead out. You know, I was looking for a team that, you know, I wasn't looking to get hired to keep sprinting for fourth place uh, like I was last year. I, You know, those are good results. And, I, you know, there are a lot of people who would be happy with those results. But I knew I'm not really capable of, of winning those races. I don't have the Max Watts anymore to come around those guys out of last corner, but um, I do have the fitness and the the positioning ability and the w- ability to read the race to, to set somebody else up for a victory. And that's what I, I felt like those results were going to waste. It was, you know, it was great to get fourth in the NCC. That I could have had a fast teammate who was winning, I think, if um, if – I had someone to work with in that regard. So that was the job I was really looking for for this year. Um, and then coming to Estella's, you know, both both Estella's and Champion System, you know, were at all the races and saw what I was doing and were interested in, in hiring me for this year and, you know, and, and really appreciative of, of both of those teams, even though I ended up on Estella's Champion System as well, was really nice to me and, and um, sort of, you know, interested enough in me, it validated the the choices that I made last season, the races that I went to. Um, and so on Estella's, you know, I obviously have, um, I have Justin Williams as, as a guy that I'm, I'm going to be doing some lead outs for, and I'm really Justin looking forward Willen to that. Williams from the former rock racing team. Yep. Same Justin. Oh, nice. Um, he's been on Estella's for two or three seasons now. Um, or maybe last year was his first year on the team. Uh, now that I think of it, um, he's been, he's been fast for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. And 
I'd call him unfulfilled potential still. I mean, he had some great results and then, um, you know, he's kind of gone from team to team for a couple of years. And I think he just has to find that right, uh, right environment where people know what he's good at and, and, and the expectations of him match, you know, what he's actually capable of. Um, you know, there's races that he's, he's good in races where he can get a clean shot at the sprint. If it's really, really technical, um, if it's a crit where only 30 guys finish, you know, that's, that's not what he's good at necessarily. Uh, it is what I'm good at. And so one of the things that, uh, Andrew Fry, who's the director of the team asked me to do was also to, to sprint this year. Um, and I wasn't expecting that, you know, like, uh, in our, all the early team meetings, Andrew was, you know, sort of reminded me, it was like, Hey, you know, you're, you're one of the best criterium riders in America and you are, you are absolutely the most experienced criterium rider in America. And that's still valuable. And we still think that you have results left. And so that was very flattering and it, it made me rethink what my approach to the season was going to be. So I am still looking to get some results and I'm going to target the NCC again. And last year you finished, you know, to back that up, you did finish what fourth overall in the NCC yeah. standings, which mm-hmm. is, and you were solo almost that entire year, right? I mean, you were pretty much riding kind of by yourself. Yeah. Two things happened. I mean, I skipped the first few races because it wasn't going to be the focus of the team at all. Um, and so, so I was training for expected road and stage races uh, later in the season. Um, the first one that I did was Charlotte and even at Charlotte, I was there to ride for other people. I was, um, I was there riding for Yuri Kotsan and Shane Klein and, you know, they both crashed out on the second day. And so, you know, I helped them in the sprint on the first day and they were second and third. Um, and it is an omnium. And then on the second day, I spent the whole race covering moves and riding for those guys and they both crashed out and all the other guys in the team had already gotten dropped. And all of a sudden it was just me left in the race. Um, and so I sprinted and I think I got fourth on the stage, but it actually put me in third overall for the Omnium. And that kind of kicked things off where I was like, whoa, hey, like I got third. Like it's a lot of points. The Omnium, an NC Omnium carries a lot more points than a, a single day. And that kind of kicked things off. And when I saw that I wasn't getting sent to races and my schedule wasn't, expectation of my schedule wasn't really matching up with what I was getting picked for. You know, for me, I just saw the writing on the wall and decided that I needed to get myself to as many races as possible, um, kind of in anticipation of looking elsewhere for a new contract for the season. And so, yeah, um, it worked out. And I, you're right. I, I more or less did that on my own. Well, that's good. I mean, so would you say like top five this year is kind of your goal for the NCC or just more of the getting the team wins with uh, Williams? I think I, I think it's possible to do both of those things. Um, I think on the days where Justin is good and in contention for the win, that will absolutely be my first priority. But I'd like to do the kind of leadouts for him that, you know, I'm still finishing in the top 10, you know, that I can finish my lead out late enough. Um, you know, it's almost like we'll sprint with two sprinters, but I'm going to go first. You know, I'm going to, and that's the best strategy for me anyway, because I'm not going to come around those guys in the last corner, but Justin can. Justin's fast enough to win those races. And, I'd, I'd, I'd give up the NCC top five if I could get him some good victories, but I, I do actually think it's cape, it's it's possible to do both. Well, cool. So I'm totally going to hijack this real quick because my first time I ever met you, Adam, was a very tragic experience to me 
because I came into it um, expecting to be a total smartass, and I had my uh, team flag, and I went to USGP in Louisville, which we'll get to in a second. And I was like, hey, Adam Myerson, can you sign my flag? And you're like, sure, I'd love to. And then I like pulled it away from you, and I said, oh, sorry, only national champions get to sign it. Because I was like trying to like really just get you good. And then you're like, no, I won the national championships in 1998 in the Collegiate Mountain Bike Championships or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was so deflated. And then you signed the flag. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a great experience. So thanks for that. Uh, yeah, really sorry. Me. It was Collegiate Cyclocross. By the way, oh, not sorry. Well, mountain bike. I, I am known for I am known for facts. Yeah, I can't believe I Tim messed that up. I remember that. I forgot about that. I don't even think of that as you, being you. Like I remember that happening, and I <laughs> I forgot that that was actually because we're friends now. It's like this is yeah, some random just, jerk. Well, now he's just not random, right? Yeah, yeah. Now he's a known like quantity. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That was that was Village pretty bad. Right. <laughs> Anyways, oh, Tim, that's um, really great if that's the way you, you introduce yourself to people. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it was because, like, uh, <laughs> Tim Johnson was nearby, so, like, I got him to sign it, and then I was trying to pull, like, a, well, sorry, Adam, <laughs> like, not for you. And then you're like, no, I won the stripes once, and I was like, oh. Okay. And I beat Tim. <laughs> Tim got nice. second. This is Eric Saunders. You're listening to the Slow Vibes Podcast. Ain't no rookies in here. Well, people do come to this podcast for actual cycling news. And, um, (laughs) I'm always surprised. I actually learned, I learned something on every podcast, and I'm always surprised that I do. Well, let's uh let's get right into it, and we'll we'll get back to uh we have some more questions for you in a bit, Adam. But uh, real quick, AJ2R had a tragic experience this past week. As my the, favorite team, I just announced it, and Spencer, you can take it away. The, the Super Rookie Curse came back, uh, back from the dead as it usually does, and struck hard at the AJ2R team as they uh, they popped off with a, a doping positive there on a Frenchman, no less. Not even one of the randoms on their team. Who knew they allowed Frenchmen to dope still? Yeah, just it is shocking. It was a very sad experience. So AG2R got a busted positive, and then therefore goes the whole like aura of this team. So Adam, is my that life was ruined? Never if there. <laughs> they've had, if AG2R they've had three is doping, EPO positives in like three years. If AG2R is doping, can I just pretty much just forgive all? Pro Tour cyclists. I mean, they were like my last bastion of hope. Well, I think it is, we are definitely still at the point where every time someone tests positive, everyone is surprised. And, and maybe we, we shouldn't be. But, you know, for instance, we just had a situation down in Tucson where, um, you know, there's lots of cyclists down there, um, guys that I'm really good friends with. And uh, this story will come out. I'm, I'm only going to give you a, a couple of the details, but. Um, three kids living together, two of the kids that I know very, very well. Um, I know their character. I, I know a lot about them. I know enough to know that not only are they clean, but they're really committed to it. And, uh, they get a suspicious package shipped to the house. And one of the kids who receives the package kind of 
you know, he's suspicious immediately. He knows there's something wrong here. And so uh, when later on, after he hands the package off, he uh, goes in the kid's room, goes through his trash, finds the package, and finds that the kid got a shipment of EPO. This is like, these kids are young, kids in their early 20s. Um, kid's an amateur. He's not a pro. Good kid. Like, I mean, good rider. Um, you know, in the gang, basically. Like, guy that I was on rides with, like, every day. Um, gets this suspicious package from the Ukraine. It turns out to be EPO that shipped from some Ukrainian pharmacy. So... The kids call WADA. They kick him out. Of, they confront him. They kick him out of the house. They call anti-doping. Um, kid goes to an airport hotel, flies home the next day. Um, anti-doping is all over it. Um, they've been chasing the kid down to test him. Um, they came and, uh, and interviewed uh, the kids who busted him. But So I think you know there's two examples there, and it's related to, to the – the Mondari, Mondari uh, positive. This is a kid who's living in a house full of like avowed anti-dopers, guys who are definitely clean and committed to being clean and was trying to keep it a secret from his housemates. Where he got the idea, it was a good idea. He's, he's essentially in a vocally clean environment. And yet still somehow came to the decision on his own, this is actually what I need to do to make it as a pro. So, you know, they are obviously angry to discover that their friend was cheating. They were really rip shit that he put them in this compromised position. Like, dude, you got this shit shipped to the house that we're living at. Like, we're going to kick your ass. Like, that was the re- And so, I mean, they literally kicked him out of yeah. the house on the spot. They were like, you need to leave. You need to go. Um, and so I think the lingering feeling around town afterwards as everybody like processed it and more and more people found out about it was, how did he, how, how did he get to that conclusion? Who told him that was a good idea? Or, or how did he arrive at that idea? Who, he had to have a conversation with someone else who said, this is what you should do. Who did he process that with? That just goes to show you that. Do you think he processes that, with someone? Yeah. Or you think it's just like people are like, I feel like it's a lot of amateurs who think like, I'm not in the testing pool. I'm under the radar. I could probably do something like that and get myself on a team and then and then take myself off the sauce, you know, and yeah. and like ride for a little while and maybe I'll get good enough or maybe I'll just do it for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. there's people that think, I think that, that's there. the like thought process. Yeah. I think when doping was socially acceptable, so doping is like racism now, right? It's not that there aren't racists. It's just that racism is not socially acceptable, <laughs> right? Yeah, definitely. And so I do think that one of the ways that I feel like I've observed a change is that doping is absolutely not socially acceptable anymore. The culture has changed. And I feel like I've observed that culture change, at least amongst the riders that I come into contact with in the community that I'm in. I can't speak to what happens in Europe. That's outside of my, my realm of experience. But when I see those kids, you know, say what you want about, about botters, but when I see the kids who came up through, through that system and who are on Garmin now, like Alex Howes, for instance, I, I just, I trust that guy. I believe that guy. Um, even Talansky, who like, says dumb shit sometimes, I still believe that that kid's clean and is committed to racing clean. And 
has a is in an environment where he's supported for doing so. Um, so I think we're at the point now that a lot of the cheating that we're seeing is the normal cheating that normal people do, no matter what their field yeah. is. You know, we're not, we know that we're not going to get rid of doping and cycling because we're not going to get rid of human cheating. But I do think we've changed the culture so that when, when something like the AG2R positive comes up, maybe it is the outlier. Maybe, maybe this guy is sort of on his own saying, well, there isn't a culture of doping in the team, especially on a French team where like, does it, like you guys talk about Kofi D all and AG2R all the time. Does anyone give a shit if they get a result? No, they, they don't. <laughs> Damn, cares, nobody else cares. They exist well, but, without that, right? Let's let's compare them to Optum, a team like Optum in the U.S. Like I think Optum is the they're the in my opinion they are the pinnacle team, American team. Me, they're the model, and I think they're the model because results matter. It's not that they don't care about winning races; they are trying to win races, but they are trying to win races in a certain way. And I think the, the French do this too, and part of that's wrapped up in like the French identity and French philosophy and um, the, like what you, what you suffer for. And, and, you know, they don't love winners necessarily in France. They love underdogs. Like you're not supposed to win. There's like more honor in, in, in sort of dying value. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. why you can have clean teams. Yeah. I think like Cofidis and an AG2R in France so that when they do have a positive, it really is surprising. Or FDJ, same thing. Like, there's so Let's, little pressure to get results on a team like that. It seemed like with AG2R, when the positive <clears throat> came, it was almost like the cycling fans around them and the media was more, like, felt sad for the AG2R manager and the teammates. Like, oh, man, they let down the culture of the team. Like, everyone well, the was, dude was yeah. crying. He was crying. Yeah. yeah. But even the oh, other man. teammates were just like, oh, we didn't know. And, oh, yeah. man. I'm buying it. I'm. I'm buying. You know, I want. Okay. I want. I, I want to buy it, but I don't know. I am the fox molder of doping of anti-doping. <laughs> so, so the other uh, the other big cycling news uh, this past week. I mean, Paris Nice. Spencer, do you want to get into Paris Nice or share your opinions on this? No, not really. Okay, Spencer, was... did you watch that sixth stage? Oh, man. I know you're really bummed because they didn't do the exact same stage on the seventh day, so you're complaining about the right. race, but they did it on the sixth yep. day. It was raining, and it was epic, and the lead yeah. was really in doubt. Did you like that? That would have been great as a final stage. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> any any stage oh. race that ends with a time trial, no good. Well, no it, good. Happened, it happened on the day before the time trial, and it was still a really good stage, and a Frenchman won. So there. So so but should we read into anything at all about how we expect? Yes, Bradley, wow. Bradley Wiggins didn't even start the final time trial, which I'm a little disappointed because any time I get to see Bradley Wiggins in the time trial world championship kit and now his full tattooed sleeves, it makes me swoon a little bit. I was surprised lie. he didn't start because how many opportunities does he have to wear the you know to wear the rainbow jersey? It's there's only a handful of times. It was one of the few chances. So so Adam. Is there going to be a uh, Team Meyerson uh, to take on Team Wiggins here in the, the near future in the development uh, leagues? I could give a shit about pro cycling, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I just uh, – no, I can't think of a worse job than being a team director. It's why I didn't take the job at Smart Stop. 
and, and wanted to keep racing. I think running yeah. a team is the absolute worst job for me, from my perspective, in cycling because it's all of the travel, all of the stress, none of the bike riding. And so it's not hanging out in the team car telling people what to do on the radio all the time? I can't think of a, 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 like a less fulfilling job than that. Like I don't want to just move pro cycling chess pieces around in a chessboard. Like I would rather use my management and promotional experience to uh, fulfill some kind of social justice mission through cycling. Like I want to run a cycling team. I just want it to be full of like kids from my neighborhood um, who, who may go on. Okay, I exaggerate a little bit. I like pro cycling. I don't like it enough to like do it for a living as a director. I wanted to participate yeah. as an athlete. Um, and I'd be happy to send people up to that level so that they can have a career racing bikes. But that's not the point of the um, like development or the, the, the point on the scale that, that I want to make my contribution. I want my, my contribution is going to be much, much at a much lower level more local level, um, you know, post, post bike racing. Sweet story, Adam. So this reminds me that, <laughs> that uh, reminds me of chamois cream. That podcast, uh, is brought to you by buckler and brocation. You can totally get it at bucklerskincare.com. Use the code, the slow ride for 10% off. What's wrong, Spencer? You're shaking your head. Code is slow ride for 10% off. Yeah. Oh, thanks for the correction. It's really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Adam, this past week at the women's race, there was a fan takedown. The old reach over the the barriers and pull the bars of the racer. We haven't seen that since Lakatosh versus Carney at Trexler Town. Um, does that ever like bother you? Like, uh, scare you when you're actually in a sprint, <laughs> I hope like a downtown bothers. crit? I mean, I've seen these downtown crits with just people running, like walking across the street because it's a police officer manning the corner that doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Does this ever even like come into your frame of reference that something like that could happen when you're racing? Yeah, I think especially in a criterium, um, you know, every now and then there's, yeah, a spectator like crossing at the wrong moment. And so I think you're hyper aware in a crit generally. Um not that she could have seen that coming or had any idea what was happening, but, um, you know, I think like Athens Twilight, for example, in the last corner, every year someone opens their cooler on the inside of the turn as the race goes on, like they pull the pin on their cooler to drain the water out, and it runs across the road, a perfectly dry race. And all of a sudden we have this like small river running through the apex of the last corner and they got it under control last year, but it, a couple of years it was there were crashes in the last corner and I think they were caused, you know, from this person like draining their beer cooler in the turn and hard to know if that was intentional or, or if they even realized what they were doing. But with that, with that crash, it's, you know, it's just, you can't know. I mean, they obviously caught the guy, they caught up with the guy and interviewed him and he told his story and his story is believable, viable because the alternate is pretty horrible. And you know, like the alternate is that he, he did it on purpose and he tried to crash her. And I don't think anyone wants that to be true. So that's some crazy timing. If he could pull that, like, I don't even think well, that if I was trying to do it, I could do that. Right. And well, watching watch the video. It. Yeah. It, what, what other movement could he, what could he be trying to do besides what happened? You know, like he wasn't yeah. clapping. It wasn't pounding on the barrier or on the side. He of was the actually, signage. he was, 
He was. If so, you watch it, he was. I watched it so many times because I, I was, I really needed to know what was going on there. He, yeah, if you yeah. watch it, he is banging on the board, and then all of a sudden, he stops banging for a second and leaves his hand outstretched and just stops banging, and that's why he catches her. And so I looked at it really closely. And he's leaned forward when it happens. And it made me think like the only way this could have been an accident would be if like he tripped at that moment and was using his hand to catch his balance for some reason. And then of course the story that came out was his son like tagged on his arm, like tried to get his attention. Um, and so it paused him. He like, he like rotated his body. So certainly he had plenty of time to make a story up. I am Jake Wells. Listen to the Slow Ride Podcast. Um, I have one quick mention of Tirreno Adriatico. And uh, of course, that is because it is the greatest trophy in all of sports. The Trident won by Nairo Quintana. So Adam, what was the best ever trophy you've won in a uh, in a race? Huh. Um at the Tour of Somerville in hmm, what year was it? Maybe nineteen ninety ninety four? Miami ninety four. Um I got second in the race and then there was a halfway preem that was a thousand dollars. Um it was the Bud Light halfway cream, and I got a giant trophy for it. Um, like oh, a, you didn't uh, get like a giant Bud Light. Well, there might have been some Bud Light in there as well, but basically, it was a. I'm gonna describe it like a giant cup, you know, like on a plaque, huge, cool. like two feet tall. Like I have, it's in my house still as a halfway cream. Nice. Could you have filled it, it with gigantic. Bud Light if you wanted? It was a bigger trophy. You probably still wouldn't get drunk, but. <laughs> That's a quality brew. Yeah, but you could. But yeah, it's uh, the most extravagant halfway cream trophy. Who gets when do you get a trophy for a halfway cream? Yeah, this is when Somerville. Somerville was uh, Somerville mattered. Somerville used to be important. It, it doesn't like the city as a whole isn't important anymore, or the crit doesn't exist. Oh, the crit still happens. It actually was on the NCC until about a week ago, so it's still happening. But they actually just step. They also just stepped down off the NCC. Um, wow. but they're keeping their prize money at the same level. They're just That's decided nice. they don't have the money to yeah, pay the fees to be on the national calendar anymore, but so this ah, N- it's a historic race. So this NCC is just like well known for their, uh, just being able to follow through and always having races that stick around. This is good. Well, is there no guarantee a- with an NCC race? Like if you said it, if you want to do it, like you don't have to put up like show you that do. you actually have everything. Well, like with any race, same with cyclocross, you have to pay some pretty substantial uh, permit fees. So, yeah. um, you know, if you're on, if you paid your fees and then you cancel, you lose them. But just like, you know, Bend last yeah. year in cyclocross. Um, no, but uh, before you slag the NCC, why don't you go take a look at how many NCC events there are compared to, say, the NRC and how much yeah. prize money there is to win. There's really no comparison. I, I'm not trying What's- to slag the NCC. All I know is I had plans on... Saturday that required me just to drive three hours. So 
until you had the plans that I did, you know, then we can talk. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Wow, Tim. Yeah, but that's tough. We'll let man. you come to camp, though. <laughs> Seriously? You guys should just take him out and just drop him and just like get him just lost. Like get him take as his far phone away from Tampa, yeah. and just drop <laughs> his ass like a hundred miles out of town. Just <laughs> so bike racing is starting up this week. Really? The re- there the hasn't real, been any bike racing. The real pro season is starting up this week uh, on Sunday. We said that two weeks ago, but okay, I believe you. Uh true. You're right. That's perfect. The real, real, yeah. real capital R. All right, hey folks, we're doing our uh, 16th place for yeah. Milan San Remo. We're going to give away the tub of Buckler chamois cream again, just like we did last time with the Het News Bald. So if you get in on Twitter, you send the slow ride, uh, your pick for 16th place by Friday at uh, 7.04 p.m. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tim's going to be watching that like a hawk. Uh, tell us who you think is going to finish 16th. Who's ever closest to that is going to win some chamois cream. Uh, same rules as last time. But now we need to talk about who all of us think is going to win and who we think is going to finish 16th. And I want to know what Super Rookie thinks first and foremost. Well, thanks a little guy. So, of course, this is – I do want to say that the 16th place, I originally wanted to call this the Adam Meyerson placing uh, because – Adam is so great at finishing 16th place in cyclocross races, but I got vetoed on this. So, uh, <laughs> no one would have gotten the joke but you. Yeah, which I, I guess it's pretty typical. So it's all our jokes are just inside jokes. <laughs> yeah, Thanks for the great response, Adam. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. really <laughs> worth that that awkwardness. So yes, 16th place is coming up uh, for Milan San Remo. My favorite classic of the year, of course, with the climb um, at the end. The win will be going to Alexander Kristoff, who will be uh, repeating the victory. And, uh, you know, I I don't even know who's going to uh, – J.J. Rojas is going to get 16th place from Movie Star um, because he is not going to make it over the climb with the lead group. So he will take the, the group sprint. So there you go. All right. That sounds good. Spencer, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick a um... – Let's see a winner. I have this. I have this all dialed in. Let me pull up my spreadsheet here. I got. Mm, I got to run, run the numbers the, uh, real quick. Yeah. I got a couple of pivot tables going and some V lookups, and it's gonna be Matthews. Matthews for the win. Oh. That is that is a bold uh, choice. Pick, but my uh, my calculations are undoubtedly correct for the win. Mm-hmm. For 16th place, it's even more um, out there. Maybe. Maybe a little more um, unexpected. Cavendish. Cavendish for 16th place. He's going to roll in, leading that second group in. That, if he gets 16th place, that might be uh, good enough for a bike throw um, into the uh, <clears throat> into the team car <laughs> or uh, whatever. Speaking of which, Adam, have you ever thrown your bike uh, in over the course of your career after a bike race or during a bike race? Out of anger? Yeah, only once, but I have done so. Yeah, Why? But I only did it once. What did you do? Well, one, because I was 19 years old, and that's the kind of thing that 19-year-olds do. Um, I was in a road race. Uh, There was a a rider who had a reputation for being very dangerous and was was doing so in this race and then caused a crash um, in a race that I was pretty excited to do well in and felt really good and was so angry that he had crashed and that I had been behind him and went down with him that 
and I think my bike was broken. Like I picked up my bike and saw that it was also broken. So I just threw it into the woods. <laughs> I can understand that. Did you go get it afterwards? Did yeah, I mean, team... I, was nine, I, I was 19. It wasn't like there was a a team car following me. And they did... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a New England amateur race. I was, uh, I think I was still a cat too. Mm. Yeah, so I so I had to go get it after I threw it, yes. Yeah, that's the worst part of throwing your bike. Oh, man, I have <laughs> so you many. You got to good... go get it, let me tell you. Oh, guys, can you guys hurry up and tell us who your picks are? Because I have a ton of uh, Super Rookie-style interruption questions to ask Adam Meyerson. I just discovered his Wikipedia page. He has a Wikipedia page. There's so much to go on here. <laughs> Little good. guy, quick, who's going to win and get 16th place? I th- I think uh, I think Cancelaire is going to win. I think he's he's on the good stuff again. And I think I'm taking a it's page a out of the – yeah, he's got a motor in his bike. He's got two. Um, taking a page out of the Spencer book, I think a Fredo. Um, the oh. very stylish, uh, underperforming Frenchman is going to finish 16th. Those are my picks. <laughs> Couldn't Adam, do it in hat, but he could do it. What do you got now. for first and 16th? I think Hausler is going to get 16th because uh, I definitely don't think that Cavendish will sprint for that second group, but someone like Hausler <laughs> probably still will. He'll Damn, give it to Hausler. Uh, Hausler will then punch him right after the race. So, like, oh, man. 16th. <laughs> But Hustler's because Hustler's riding better, but probably not yeah. good enough to actually win. Although you know the, the year that he won, is really, really like one of the best. It's a it's a sprint worth going back to watch. Um, I don't have a good winning pick. I will say that uh, because Sagan did so well in that over that last hill in the rainy stage and made that front group when so many guys didn't, um, that he may be the fastest guy left. Um, but also, Stibar's win at Strada Bianca uh, was – he went so good up that last hill. It was so impressive. And I know that there's a lot of dirt road riding and skill required in that race, and there is very little skill other than, you know, Sean Kelly smashing the downhill to win the race. Like, there's no – it's you're just sitting around for 300K, um, you know, and the race is about – who can go up the last hill fast enough and who's the fastest sprinter left after that duration. That's not necessarily Stibar's strength, but I don't know. He I think, could it could, I think he, could, he could be the fastest guy left, and he certainly can yeah. go down that hill fast. That's true. That's true. It is, it is always about going down. Well, so, quick, quick Step and Sky have won well like done, 75% of the races this year. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it would hold. You could get one of the snowy... Uh, Snowy stages like we just had in Torino and we had a few years ago at the uh, Milan San Remo, though, where every, everyone is encrusted with ice. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. so, Meyerson, I'm on your Wikipedia page. There's so many questions. <laughs> Real quick. In the pro peloton, like the domestic pro peloton, are there, are there riders that actually sprint for that 16th place? You know, like even when I'm in the Cat 3s, I'm like, oh, I'm not sprinting for 35th place. I don't want to like crash because there's always like that one guy that's sprinting for 29th that is a little hairy. Does that happen at the national level? Like people are going for – like even though the break is up the road, people are still going for 15th, 16th place? And I mean it depends on if there's, if there's money there and how big the race is. Um, you know, you sprint for 15th place at Philly. Uh, you know what I mean? So – or even even in a criterium, yeah, like – it's just a matter of how hard you sprint and how much risk you're willing to take for it. But 15th place can still be a couple hundred bucks depending on the, the prize list. And 
we don't make that much money that we're, you know, it's below us to sprint for that. But some people might not. I'm, I'm, not everybody will sprint for it. Uh, I think it depends on if it's a stage race too, you know, or if, yeah, again, if there's prize money, if there's money we're sprinting. Have you ever seen some good old fashioned violence on the bike? Like I'm talking like fisticuffs, like dudes actually stopping in the middle of the race to punch each other. I like to kick right. people in our races. Look, yeah, I kick I mean, people. I mean, not, I suppose not only have I seen it, I've, I've, I've been in it. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, it happens. I just happens realized I'm not less. trying to railroad you on this one, but I was a prime witness in that case. We don't need to discuss. Are, are you talking about Kansas City Cross Nationals? Yeah, well, I mean, pick one. It's, it's happened <laughs> multiple times. Um, I mean, we can go all the way back to Ray Sanchez in South Florida in the early 90s or Radisa Kubrick in uh, Dilworth in, like, 1994. Bike racing just used to be different, and it was... Oh, tell me more. Did you have to go up hills? <laughs> It was dirtier back then, and not just because of the doping. It was dirtier because people hooked each other more and chopped each other more, and they punched each other more, and they fought in parking lots after the races. And that was the era of bike racing that I came up in. And it took me a long time to realize that that era was over, and I was an anachronism, and that the sport doesn't get in the U.S. doesn't get played that way anymore. Um, usually typically anyway um is, is bike racing paralleling the nhl a little bit in that regard then like no more bench clearing fights and you know i suppose i mean there's you know fighting still part of the game and the nhl and that's not going away anytime soon but but you're right that it's not it's not like slap shot anymore like that sure. that that parody yeah i suppose that doesn't exist the same way so yeah cycling's cleaned up its act and gotten more professional even in terms of you know parking lot fist fighting which was just a normal people punched each other in the sprints in the 90s Uh, that's simpler time (laughs) in many ways it was a simpler time so do you edit your own wikipedia page or is there someone you hire to do it you're an Uh, asshole my friend Dave Chu uh, was the one who initially put the Wikipedia page together I did not have one and uh, Dave volunteered to do it I have periodically gone in there and edited things um, I think because who doesn't want to you know like there was so much like tattoo and body piercing references on my Wikipedia page and I was like like what this is not this is not my legacy and this needs to be toned down a little bit and so i've taken some of that kind of stuff off i'd really rather be known for my bike racing than my appearance uh, i think i think most people I, i'm honored that, that you have a wikipedia page and you join the podcast so i'm not trying to be a total jerk so uh just checking it just checking it now and there's uh, there's a lot of mentions of super rookie all of a sudden i don't remember being <laughs> someone checked that out <laughs> Well, this is Sarah Goff, U.S. Olympian, and this is the Slow Ride Podcast.
Once again, thanks for listening to the Slow Ride Podcast. You can go to bucklerskincare.com and use the code SLOWRIDE for 10% off. And we want to thank Buckler Skincare for their support. For all of your cycling skincare needs, bucklerskincare.com and use the code SLOWRIDE for 10% off. Wow. So, Adam, you've been an outspoken supporter and one of the leaders of the USA Cyclocross. And I do think that that should be one of the main things of your legacy, personally, as a fan of cyclocross. And this year marks the, you know, this coming September is a big deal for the U.S. Not because of the World Championships, which was a couple of years ago, which definitely was a big deal. But the World Cup is coming to the United States. And you definitely, you know... Maybe you're not the promoter of it, but that has a lot to do with it, is what, what you've done with Cross. So the bigger question I have for you with the World Cup coming is, are we ever going to see a USGP in the United States again, The uh, a big national series for cyclocross? Yeah, for sure. And I think, so, I mean, to go back to the beginning, like, there are so many people who are new to cyclocross who maybe only know me in, you know, one context. They only know me as a racer. Maybe they know that I organize a race, but you know they don't know that I was on the cyclocross UCI cyclocross commission, or um, how long I've been putting UCI race on for, or how much I helped other organizers. Like, you know, you don't walk around like handing your resume out to the new people that you meet, and so I don't expect people to know the legacy there. And so when you say things like, you know, we have a World Cup in North America now, and you contributed to that, I don't think. I appreciate that you recognize that. I think there are a lot of people who are listening who are like, what the fuck did Adam Meyerson have to do with there being a World Cup in North America? And That's know, why we're here. We'll, we'll, we'll be your PR department. <laughs> sure. it's well, okay. it's it's too long a story to tell, but but it, it, I, I do appreciate that. And, I, you know, there are a lot of people who took a pull, you know, to get us here, for sure. Um, and I, I'm happy to chip in in the places where I chipped in over the past 25 years. Um, will we have a USGP type series again? Yes, absolutely we will. So, you know, there are two aspects to North American professional cyclocross. And, and one is that we absolutely need a, a weekend in weekend out professional racing calendar. Um, and that's what the, the pro CX is within that we, we do need a, a pro tour, you know, a, a series of eight races that, that visits different markets doesn't necessarily have to be double weekends either. You know, there could be eight cities, an eight cities tour where, you know, one day is a C1 that's part of the national series and the second day is a C2 that's just stands alone or is part of the Pro CX. Um, and the promoters are there, the expertise is there, the venues are there. And, and you know, well, the reason why it doesn't exist right now is the sponsors aren't there. Certainly... Joan Hanscom would be capable of putting something like that together in you know, six months if a sponsor came to her and said, here's the money that you need to do it. Um, she has the contacts and the experience and the infrastructure. It wouldn't take long to uh, put that back together. But you know, she, when you have people like Bruce and Joan who put so much of their own sweat equity into that over the years, and you, know, you just get to the point where you're not going to do it unless it's profitable because it's just it's, – it's very, very shitty – challenging hard unrewarding work um race promotion is it's it's just really terrible work um and if you don't have the money you don't have the sponsors 
you can only do it for the love of it for so long before you're like, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll it'll come back. I mean, as the yeah, economy yeah. comes back, like it is right now, I think, and cross continues to grow. Um, you know, someone's going to have the right conversation with the right person at the right time, and the money will appear again, and and so will a national series. Lots of people want to see it happen. Is this is this, this going to be a thing where the money comes in and it's and you get to create a series like out of thin air, or is it going to come more from a, a grassroots uh, some events that are working now are going to kind of bind together and, and form something? So it's it those are the right questions to ask in terms of there are two approaches that people have tried and, and I think there's still some disagreement about which one is better, but you know, the USGP started just like the super cup did before it with individual organizers owning their events and, uh, a, an outside party owning the series and then having sort of stipulations for each organizer to be part of the series and, and what they had to meet. And of course, that's how the Verge series runs too. But as those national series got bigger, there were more and more conflicts with the local organizers about, you know, what sponsors they could have and what sponsors the series could have and how they wanted the courses set up. And so, and so, yeah, both, both the Super Cup and the USGP ended up realizing that they needed to own their own events. And the USGP made its local organizers partners as a way to do that. Um, you know, and that worked as long as there was money. But if you want your events to be, the problem with that is when the series goes away, sometimes the events go away. Mm-hmm. So if the if you do it as a confederation of events, then they can survive the outside sponsorship coming and going. Like if the Verge money dried up for the Verge series, the Verge races would still stand alone and they'd still continue as events without the series. So that's the benefit to a confederation model. Live free um, die. <laughs> well, but the advantage we have is that we're all local. We're all local and we're all friends. Right. So it's easy for us to kind of meet a mutual standard. But if I was trying to get a New England organizer to cooperate with a Northwest organizer, um, historically, that hasn't always gone well. You know, mm-hmm. if you try and get an organizer from each region to all be on the same page, it's not an easy thing to do. Is it, is, is the, is, Cyclocross in the U.S. moving towards like a a, a Verge series in New England and a, a similar series in, on the West Coast or something, or or can you do the USGP style where there's one on each coast all the time, or or in between, you know, in Louisville and and Madison and whatnot? I mean, we're the only UCI series in America right now. You know, we pay an overall prize list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are other series but there is no other uci series so every race in america is part of every uci race in america is part of the pro cx and that's a calendar right that's a that's a schedule of of Uh races um you know you can compare that to the you know the uci calendar and uci points and there's an overall for that but um we're the only private series and so you know in a sense we are a national series it's just that everything happens in one region People could be flying to New England for all the Verge races if they wanted to race for that overall. But obviously, people yeah. prioritize the C1s. Um, so, no, who else is doing it? What other series is there? Yeah. So, there's now, the Minnesota uh, Cyclocross Rider of the Year series. <laughs> pretty um, prestigious. I think I was sixth in it last year. 
So look, I've got six in that. Looking at crossresults.org, that should put you in the uh, top 75 out in New England. Nice. Maybe. I, heard, I also, I I also heard skipped some events. I heard gravelresults.org was about to launch. Oh, oh Gravel Results. That, that was one of the best tweets I saw this day. So friends of the podcast, Results Boy, telling us that he got asked if gravelresults.com was around the corner. And uh, that was fan uh, fantastic. I hope it it is. was a short, fat bike ride away. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the only other big news that uh, we, we could just slide right into the end here, guys, at the end, is that the Minnesota Velodrome is, in fact, not falling down, and it will continue for another five years thanks to um, the support of local bike racing. Mm-hmm. Adam, have you ever raced on a Velodrome? Uh, interesting bit of trivia for you right now. I was in the first group of racers to race on that velodrome in Blaine in the 1990 Olympic Festival. It was newly opened, and we were the first ones to race on it. Timmy, you got it on the Wikipedia page right now. I was a junior. <laughs> Wait, allow me I've to only, add that into the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I've only raced on the track a small handful of times, but um, That's that cool. summer was my first time racing on the track, and so Blaine was the first track I ever raced on. A oh, wow. proper track too, so they all feel sh- small and and not steep enough now. After that, I'm sure. I mean, I had never seen anything like that, and yeah. people definitely slid. They're, watching someone go too slow and slide down the track and end up with an ass full of splinters. Um, yeah, it's fun. Man, one I've done, I, I've one, done one of my favorite things was the very first time that the three of us were out there for our training. Uh, the very first yeah. time we ever rode the race, God. I was up all the way at the top. Yeah. And meanwhile, there was a guy like the local fast guy was down doing a kilo effort, and I just slid right down into him and uh, took him out. That was uh, oh, that was my uh, yes, hey did. guys, my oh, name's shit. Super Rookie. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Didn't I run over you the second time we went to the track though? Because yes. I tacoed my wheel because you yes. fell right in front of me when we were rolling out. Yeah, it was, it was it was, it was yeah. a real jazz hands moment. I was like, ah! And I ran over you, and my front wheel, yeah. Tacoed. Uh, yeah, yeah good know, times. Good times, Timmy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am known for yeah. my bike handling. And then you chase Spencer down. <sighs> yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> Have you ever, I got a question for you, Adam. Have you ever had a teammate, and this will be my last question, um, midway oh through a stage race or midway through a road race actually stop and change jerseys halfway through because they were so mad at you for tactics? <laughs> Uh, no, no. I've in, in twenty five years of bike there, racing, never this never, this you've, you've never had someone just like blow well, up. They got kicked out of the car. Like there has to be like a major breakup. That just, he was like, always on like real teams, not like a fake team. That was just a bunch of guys that had a well, bunch I, of ill fitting jerseys. That they yeah, I want to know the logistics found. of how there was a jersey available for him to change into. Well, he was technically on Birchwood, but when we were at the track, we all pretended to be on the same team. It was in between races. It was a three-race night, so there was like a downtime between, and he got really mad and switched teams for the last race of the night. Like, all of a sudden, he had a new jersey on. Magic. I I think I had it in the messenger bag, yeah, and I swapped out the arrow dress uh, from the messenger team to to my my road team, and... uh, Tim and Matt proceeded proceeded to ruthlessly chase down everything that I did from then on. <laughs> you left which, us no choice. Just pretty fair. It's pretty. The fair. only acceptable action at that point was just to throw our races away to chase you down and ruin your race. <laughs> yeah, you did. All right. It was well, pretty I'm sure that I'm sure we left a bunch of questions that people were actually listening for us to uh, 
ask you, Adam, but we do appreciate you coming on to the uh, Slow Ride podcast. Um, where can we uh, find your uh, coaching? If someone wants those the skills and wants to have this personal Skype conversation with you, where can they go? They can go to cycle-smart.com. Um, you can look for cyclesmart.com on, well, just Cycle Smart on Facebook, um, Twitter, all the usual places. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, this is the 48th episode of the Slow Ride Podcast uh, brought to you by bucklerskincare.com. You can use the code SLOWRIDE for 10% off. Recommend the chamois cream or some of the embrocation. You can always find us on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod or email us at theslowridepodcast.com. And as always, our music is uh, brought to you by BK1 of Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. And, uh, and as, as the outro, uh, Adam, can we get a birdie update? What's she up to? Um, she has taken up residence uh, in the small of Janice's back. Mm. Um, Janice is home from her trip as well. And um, yeah, she's, she's asleep in the softest spot in the house she could find, which right now is on top of Janice. Good job, Bertie. This is a cat we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not your mom. Oh. Hey. Well, Adam, thank you I so only much listen- for, <laughs> yeah. for Wait, do I get to listen to the outro or is that that all happens in the post? Because I only, the main post reason I tune magic. in. Yeah. I tune in because I miss my wife most yeah. of the time. And I get to listen to her voice on your podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. TheSlowRidePodcast.com and on Twitter at TheSlowRidePod. Spencer, you got to get the Eric Saunders uh, commercial break in there. Oh, yeah. I'll work on that. So, little guy, you write the show notes. Okay. I'll I'll do show notes. You do the other thing. Cool. We'll get Adam Adam, uh, to do one later. At some point, Adam, we'll we'll have to get a drop from you. Oh, yeah, yeah. We we have Eric Saunders now, so, you know, that's pretty good. (laughs) It's going to be one of those – I mean, but the number of people who remember Saunders, like, dwindles every year, you know? That's why he said on Twitter, like, like he's going to come on to rekindle interest in his brand. Good. Good, good, good. You should. Yeah, he'd be he'd be a good guy to have on for sure. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Adam. All right. Yep. Thanks. See you guys. See you. Bye.